0: And welcome along to another edition of Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio Northeast. This is show number seven. Oh my god, we've done seven shows. There really is a god. And if he does, he likes Mentally Sound. Uh, Thank you so much for everyone that's tuning in. A couple of things before we officially start. Uh, There's a couple of things I want to obviously address, in in, in particular in relation to uh, last month's show. Uh, Just to give a quick reminder of the fact that we didn't get some pre-recorded segments done in the last show for various reasons those that listened will understand what i'm on about uh, and i just want to say to people who were expecting certain things in last month's show and um, we are going to be doing the pre-recorded stuff that we were going to do in last month's show are going to be in this show just to let people be aware of what's coming up uh, also i want to say if you want to get in touch with the show you can do so at underscore mentally sound on twitter and if you're not on twitter you should be it's awesome uh, <laughs> But um, without further ado, uh, I want to introduce my co-host for the show. It's one of the things that's awesome about doing this show is I get a bunch of people to talk to that's different than that, and it's really cool. And I'm really, really excited because this particular co-host uh, does a lot of uh, blogging and is a, a mental health support and talks about it a lot on Twitter and various other things. So I would like you all to meet Sophie. Hello, Sophie.
1: Hi, Stephen. Hello.
0: How are you doing? Are you well?
1: I'm feeling absolutely great today. Um, how are you?
0: I'm great. Um, but it's always appropriate to kind of start with sort of, how are you on a mentally sound show? So it's kind of, it's kind of a good starting point, uh, I I think. Um, and are you excited to be part of the show?
1: Um, definitely I'm, i mean i've been involved since show one but um mm-hmm. it's a really different experience to be here and co-presenting with you today and it's gonna be an obvious pleasure so
0: yay <laughs> it really is um so before we obviously get because we've got a lot to go through as you know looking at the script beforehand and when we we're talking about it we've got a lot of, of content to get through but one of the things i want the listeners to know is obviously about the stuff that you get up to and the stuff that you're doing um so for example um you you do you're part of a, you do care and stuff which is uh you're essentially you're a carer and and one of the things that from my experience that's interesting is that i, I touched on this before we started is to mention that my mom suffers uh, parkinson's so um during the period of time i was with her i would I, you know i was essentially her carer so i'm interested to know from your perspective like how caring is you know being a carer is a part of your life
1: Um, So I've been a carer since the age of 11. Um, It started in 2005 um, when my grandma fell down the stairs. right. Um, So she was in hospital for quite a few months, and when she came out, we learned that she had epilepsy and Mm -hmm. she had progressive brain damage. Um, So I started to care for her in that respect, um, and things gradually got worse. And then I started to care for my younger sister, um, who has epilepsy, and she now has reactive depression as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of just making sure that she was all right, kind of making sure she got to school on time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mum developed a depression as well and lost a lot of weight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and this was all in the space of four years. Yeah. And my mum and dad separated at that point, and then my dad was de- developed depression as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I had to kind of look after him, look after the household, mm-hmm. manage bills and things like that, um, and then my granddad as well. Um, he developed Alzheimer's at this point, so it was okay. quite a lot of things. Wow, yeah, all of a That's sudden, a lot. Um, and so yeah, I've been doing that for ten years now, and it's just become kind of part of normal life, really.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. So, I mean there's a couple of things you touched on there that interest me and for example the fact that you know you mentioned that you were carer at 11 did you say yes I was a carer um at 11, yes. i mean you know obviously you can you can elaborate on that as as much as you're comfortable to but be, being 11 and, and essentially becoming a carer that must be really hard
1: um i didn't really see myself as a carer at 11 yeah um, i can imagine it came when i was about 18 when i was starting mm-hmm. college and kind of grasped the knowledge and i was i can remember sitting in a lesson and the lecturer or teacher and um, said oh well this is what a carer does and something clicked in my mind and i thought i've been doing that for seven years now that's me
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but i mean at 11 i didn't really understand but now i look back it was normal to me
3: yeah
0: mm-hmm. now i can imagine i mean it's a good point you make that actually probably at 11 years old you wouldn't have known what you were going through like you wouldn't have thought i'm a carer because you just thought i'm gonna do what i can um so yeah. Um, also, one of the things that you do not just not just the care side of things, but you also blog as well, which is obviously interesting. There's something that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, there's a blog I, there's a blog that I'm, I'm doing later in the show that, that that is important to me. So, how did the blogging uh, ethos start with you?
1: Um, so I started blogging in December 2013, um, and I initially blogged about being a social work student. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I got involved with a Twitter chat, um, as great as Twitter is, and (laughs) someone um, said, oh, well, gee, would you mind speaking at an event? And I went, no, that's absolutely fine. spoke at a few events, and I thought I'm really making an impact with people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started blogging about being a carer and my own mental health issues. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gradually just grown from there, and I've got a, n- a new blog um, where I blog about politics as well, mm-hmm. and also have my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So That's everything's awesome. just evolved from then.
0: Do you really enjoy? Do you really enjoy doing it? Do you enjoy the process?
1: It's given me a lot of um, focus in life.
0: Nice.
1: Um, it's kind of somewhere where I can write my thoughts down, yeah. write my ideas down, and kind of share it with people. Because if you don't do that, then. You're not going to get the word out because mm-hmm. I didn't know I was a carer till I was 18. But if somebody aged 13's reading my blog, then they may think, oh, well, I'm a carer and... Good point. the power of that.
0: It's a really good point. Um, also, as well, I wanted to touch on, because I'm excited to hear that you're going to be part of Mentally Sound a little bit more, and you're actually doing a series. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, I am. Um, so I had the idea to do a six-part series on being a carer and mental health, mm-hmm. um, because I believe that me being a carer has impacted on my mental health a little bit. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I, am, I have OCD, health anxiety, and social anxiety, Um, So I just wanted to kind of focus on that and kind of help people make the distinction and say, well, being a carer can affect your mental health and your physical health, but most importantly, it can affect your mental health.
0: Awesome. I mean, um, this is something that I touched on in my blog. I just want to quickly say this because we're pressed for time, but I just wanted to ask you in relation to... Because whenever I, I talk openly about my mental health, the thing that some people say to me is it's incredibly brave to do that. Um, do you do you regard yourself as being brave for taking the attitude of, like, blogging about something as, as serious as that?
1: To be honest, no. It's just a normal thing for me. I'm quite that's an my, open person. That's my person. response, yeah.
0: That's my so. response. Um. Because I, I, I make the point in my blog that you're going to listen to later is that... Um, it really comes down to just telling the truth because it's kind of your experience, and you know, ha- you know, I have the argument of if we all were open about it, about whatever situation we're in, then it would become the norm, and then we would not need to be brave about it. We would just be talking about stuff that really yeah, matters. Yeah, yeah, completely easily, um, yeah. Which I think is a very powerful point. Um, so k- kudos to you, and and keep up with it, and um, and I encourage people to to check out your stuff. And um, what's your name with the YouTube and everything?
1: Um, so my if you search on YouTube, if you search the musings of a journalism student um, Great title. I know it's a long title, um, Great title, but yeah I am a journalism student now yeah. so um and if you do wanna catch me on Twitter then it's at Sophie M mm-hmm. J S Y P E because that's the name of my two blogs.
0: Awesome. I encourage people to I encourage people to follow and have a look at, that, at her stuff. Re- it's really really good. I was having a I was having a Twitter stalk earlier on. I hope you don't mind. No, no that's absolutely <laughs> um, fine. It was very very interesting. Um, it was nice to get to know another person who does this kind of thing. But yeah, no, awesome. Keep up with it. We're going to talk to Sophie a lot more uh, during the show. She's obviously going to be here for the entire two hours. But um, so we'll talk to you a little bit later about a bunch of different things. Obviously, I want to talk to you about you going to uni soon, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, we must press on because we've obviously say we've got a lot of pre recorded content coming up. So the First pre-recorded content we are going to do is Victoria uh, is talking to some. It uh, has a PR support item uh, segment with Karen, who's the research manager uh, for McPin Support. Uh, it's a brand new. Um, uh, it's a brand new uh, charity that deals with research into mental health, which is incredibly uh, interesting, and it's an incredibly interesting interview. And as I say, Victoria is a really good—you know—it does a really good job of interviewing people in these segments. So I really uh, am looking forward to uh, letting you guys uh, listen to this. So you're listening to uh, this is Victoria's interview uh, with McPind, uh PS Support uh, Group, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast.
4: Hello, I'm Victoria and I'm working for Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio Northeast. And I'm here at an event today, and I would just like uh, you to do a bit of an introduction for yourself there.
5: Hi, hello everyone. Um, my name's Karen, and I'm the Research Manager at the McPinn Foundation. Um, the McPinn Foundation is a mental health research charity. You might not have heard of us, because we're quite new. We've just been going about two years. Um, and we, our main aim, really, is to bring lived experience to the heart of all research um, in mental health
4: and would you be able to tell us a little bit about the peer support event here in Leeds today?
5: Yes, we've just had a great day today here in Leeds and this is part of our evaluation of a very large programme of work that is being rolled out across England at the moment that is led by MIND and funded by the Big Lottery and this programme is all about trying to increase the provision and raise awareness of peer support for mental health. We're trying to find out, as part of our research, what the key principles and values are. Um, And so we invited a lot of people with the experience of peer support to come here today to talk to us about, about this.
4: What would you say to any of our listeners who might say that promotion of peer support is merely seeking a cheaper alternative to professional involvement?
5: I would say that I think the the value of peer support is is widely recognised, and and the reason why we're doing this research is because we want we really want to find out, um, or or to produce some robust evidence for peer support. Um, I I think it is a cheaper alternative in some ways, but I think. It's, it's offering something very different and it's offering something unique that people don't get from normal statutory mental health services and that's, that's the value of it primarily.
4: Thank you, Um, I mean I personally very much am in support of peer support and I think from hearing everybody here at the event today uh, speak from different perspectives, we had some people who are actually uh, working as peer supporters, uh, peer coordinators, we've had people who are actually service users and it has been a hugely successful event I feel that the outcome of which what would you say was the biggest success?
5: I think the the biggest success really is having having everyone here in the room. And I think everyone really came together um, and had a lot to share about peer support. And you could see, you know, talking about the value of peer support, you, you just would need to come really here today and... and and hear people's stories and the passion and the enthusiasm really for it. And I think for me, that was a that was what I enjoyed the most about today. Is really everyone coming together um, and talking about something that they they really care about that really matters.
4: What yeah. would you see the major challenges that lie ahead in terms of your project and in terms of getting peer support? more firmly established as a treatment or an alternative method of support?
5: Well I think to be honest we are we don't really know the the challenges at the moment as researchers and that's really what we're looking at as part of the research project so we're going to be spending a lot of time talking to commissioners and these are the people who decide whether or not they're going to fund peer support and I know funding is a major challenge so we're going to be finding out really what what some of the challenges are around commissioning peer support and we're also going to be talking to people who are trying to set up local peer support groups um, about what the challenges are really about setting up these groups and ensuring that they're sustainable so I'm not able to answer that question now but hopefully at the end of the research this time next year I'll have a lot more to say about it.
4: Thank you very much I think a lot of people uh, do rely on peer support both formal groups and informally through social media and friendships and I do think that projects like this radio project are a great way for people to uh, access peer support. Obviously peer support is something that's existed for a long time going right back to things like Alcoholics Anonymous if you want to go formally or just you know informal friendship groups so why suddenly now is this Uh, funding available for research and this interest in formal research when peer support is clearly something that's been around for so long?
5: I think it's been around for a long time but it's been um, something that's been quite informal that's happened you know within communities and not really been something that health and social care commissioners would have necessarily been aware of or have thought to to kind of allocate funding to. But I think more recently you're starting to see um, peer support workers within statutory services such as the NHS and within larger organisations such as MIND. And so I think that's why um, people are now looking to um, provide some more robust evidence for peer, peer support
4: so obviously you've already touched on the fact that it, it is in some senses money saving but perhaps this interest is that they are finally starting to recognize within the health services the value of peer support and take it seriously as a method of treatment of support and of helping people to progress and i don't want to say become better <laughs> because obviously uh, we as we covered today uh trying to define what actually is a measure of success within peer support is quite difficult isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. um, not something that you can measure and quantify. Do you you agree with that? That it is quite difficult to measure whether someone has successfully gained from peer support short of asking them are you feeling
5: better? Um, I would disagree as a researcher I'd say there are ways of um, measuring the impact of peer support and that's what we hope to do as part of this evaluation but I do think it's important to make sure you're measuring the right things so we've done a lot of work with um, our peer group at St George's University of London who are our partners in this evaluation and so these are people with um, lived experience of mental health problems and peer support and they have helped us to select what they feel are the most important um, outcome measures and these include things like well-being hope quality of life and I think these are if you can show that peer support makes a difference to some of these things then then that would be great but we just have to wait and see
4: well, this is an extremely exciting project I've been absolutely thrilled to be part of it uh, if people do want to know more how would they go about finding out more about the project
5: Well, mines have a page on their website about the programme and if they'd like to find out more about the research then if they go to www.mcpin.org to our website um, there'll be some information about that on there and they can always email us at our um, contact address which is also on our website.
4: Right, well, I want to thank you very much again, and uh, this is Victoria, and I'm with Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio North Thank you very much for
5: your time. Thank you,
0: thanks for having me. Who doesn't love that band? If you don't, I don't want to know you, frankly. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Um, but no, that was a, seriously is an awesome song, obviously, ACD with Back in Black. It always reminds me of uh, School of Rock. I don't know if anyone gets that reference, but it's a great yeah. film with Rat Black. And uh, yeah, it always makes me sort of laugh when he's uh, m- you know miming it in, a- in his van on the way to the school. But anyway, that's just me being a geek. But anyway... Um I want to uh, welcome, uh, as obviously Sophie's still with us, our co-host, and I'd like to welcome uh, Steve, one of our contributors to the show. Hello, Steve.
6: Yeah, hi, hi. It's a pleasure to be here. No
0: worries. It's a pleasure to have yeah, you, good thank sir. You, thank you very um, much. It's a pleasure being had. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, uh, huge thank you for for coming on to talk about the segment that you've done, which is obviously yeah. very, really, really interesting, and it kind of goes along a very interesting premise. And the premise is that. Um, that you work as, a, as, as so, a part of social work, and, yeah, and uh, I'm a, I do to
6: explain that, yeah? Yeah, um, it started out going along with other service users like myself and just doing a bit of group work with social work students. And because I've been reliable and I put a lot of passion into what I do, it's actually led to delivering lectures now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have no qualifications to be delivering lectures, but it's just how. I've had a lot of hard times in life and it's using them hard times and doing something positive with it. Mm-hmm, which is what? awesome.
0: Yeah, And part of the angle that you do with, with the segment we we're going to play at the end of this is, to t- is, is talking about how you know you come in with, with your, the qualifications and experience you have in your life and yeah. with someone who's spent a great deal of time you know, t- um, learning and and studying to do the job that they're doing, and you're coming in and doing it, and it's a very interesting point of view. I mean, what I want to ask, that because from your perspective, because obviously yeah. you're asking them in the interview, is what do you think? Like, do you do you do you think at all that you are kind of looked at um, with a with a sort of. You know, an, an, an unkind eye because of the fact that it's that situation? I don't
6: actually because uh, I have to admit I've been involved with the social work programme now for about five years and in all them five years I've never had a bad comment of a student or a lecturer and awesome. it's, it's always encouragement you know, mm-hmm. everything I do is encouraged and I'm doing a lot of new stuff, I mean for example last year I delivered a lecture on risk and taking positive risk and how it can change your life mm. and had totally absolutely yeah. yeah had absolutely no help putting the lecture together and I delivered the lecture and I asked for um some on um, ways I could not improve it mm-hmm. with some feedback and all the feedback I got was positive comments awesome you
0: know um, and and as we were talking during the segment before you came on uh Sophie was mentioning that you did you you did social work or yeah. you were going to can you explain what you were um, going to
1: so I've been at Sunderland University for a year now um, Mm -hmm. and I did a year of a social work course. Um, Mm -hmm. So what you just said there, um, what did you enjoy about giving the lectures?
6: What I enjoy about is um, it's pushing me out of my comfort zone. You know, if I get asked to do something, I mean, I I can stand up in front of 95 students and the buzz that I get from that. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose you only I can relate. I um, had problems with alcohol and drugs in the past and you were always trying to get that get back that first buzz that you got off your first pint. absolutely. But to me now, I haven't had a drink in like 14 years. And to me, this is how I get my enjoyment now Mm. and this is how I get my buzz and I just feel so good.
0: Like healthy reassurance uh, and that kind of thing, a healthy... Positive reinforcement. Yeah, and of course, of thing,
6: yeah. and when I was unwell as well, um, I had no faith in myself. And if I got asked to do something, my reaction was just no.
0: We talked about this in the opening segment, Sophie and I, when we were talking about blogging, which is yeah. uh, it, it was a was a. In, and I want to ask you the same question because this is, I think, going to be a running theme in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is because you talk you're talking so open and eloquently there and you'd now do it as as a as as part of your work yeah. and and in a passion project if is, is that fair to say a passion yeah, project? Definitely, yeah. um and I just want to ask you like do you feel the set that you're that you're brave for doing what you do because very often if you talk openly we were talking about this that you get you get told that you're brave for for being open and I just want to ask you kind of subsection to that is is it difficult for you to be as open
6: um I or is that
0: a learned thing did you learn i it? think
6: um, the hardest part is the first time you actually talk about your problems Absolutely. or you deliver a lecture and talk about your own personal mm. and you'll you wouldn't believe it. You might not want to talk about your problems, but if you do actually talk about your problems, it's like a weight being lifted off your shoulder. Yeah. And you'll be surprised with the response you get of other people. Mm. You know, and you'll you'll find a lot of people say I understand or I've had similar problems. Mm. I mean I've run self harm awareness sessions there as well. And lots of students stayed back at the end, and it was like family members I know that self harm, and you know friends, and it's just amazing. The Do you find
0: it very sort of uh, like that, de- like sort of detrimental and, and 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 worrying that like you can't? There's so certain people who have a approach of if you are open and honest with whatever it is that you're struggling with, that you kind of the there's the fear of being ridiculed because. I think the more that I talk about what I go through, it actually gets easier. As a, uh, It gets easier. Yes, definitely. Um, is that been your experience? Yeah,
6: I mean, for uh, the first talk I did, basically, was at the House of Lords, yeah? And there was a lot of my life I didn't put into that talk. Mm-hmm. And the more talks I was asked to do around the country, I spent a lot of time going around the country, the more talks I was asked to do, I thought, you know, I'll add a bit more, add a bit more. And the more... I'm now the more, probably the most open person you can meet. I mean, you can talk mm. to me about self harm, you can talk to me about drugs. and alcohol. Yeah, considering the you the know, meetings I've had with sorts, you during yeah. the show, we talked about Definitely. a great
3: deal
0: of stuff that you'd be like, don't talk about yeah. that to a stranger. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, but I'm I'm the same, yeah. you know. Uh, what do what you what do you? I mean, uh, what was it like for you when you first blogged, Sophie? Were you ver- were you um, Is I was, that the same experience?
1: Yeah, um, I was definitely cautious at first because you've got to kind of build up an audience. But I think now I've got a decent following on my social media um, mm-hmm. and I do talks around the country as you do yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does get a lot easier. You tend to divulge a lot more to strangers, as you say. But mm-hmm. I talk to professionals, I've talked to students before, so they're not really strangers in a sense. Was it like
0: what Steve said that once he got through the first one, that was you felt like you could do it. It, it is, it's that. just
1: taking that first step mm. and going it's like for
0: recovery, it. like recovery, you know, I, I even touched about Was it the same for your alcoholism? Was it the yeah. first step's the most important the one? The first
6: step, I mean, I'd been offered help all my life with my alcohol problems, and because I was, it was more or less forced onto was. I pushed it away and pushed it away, and then the time was right for me, and I decided I couldn't go on anymore, and I did a week's detox. Mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. One of the
6: hardest things I've done in my life, but when, when I finished that detox, I had to basically find new friends, start a new life. Otherwise, I'd be going back into the same situation. And 14 years down the line, I still haven't had a drink. And that was because the time was right for me. Awesome. Yeah. And now, I suppose a lot of the reasons that I do this stuff at the university as well is, when I talk about self-harm, people might be just in the first stages of that. Mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. And it's trying
6: to grasp them and try and change their perceptions and alter the, the way they think about self-harm. Yeah. You know, so... I've been through it all and if I can just stop one person in all the years that I'll be working there however long I am to me what I do is a success
0: exactly it's exactly my yeah. attitude it's like if it helps one person then it's one more than That's it. not doing it you know? definitely um, just because we obviously um, we want to play a segment so I thought what would be obviously make a lot of sense is if you could just uh, briefly do an outline of what this segment is and, and who definitely. you talk to definitely you don't mind.
6: yeah um, I spoke to two lecturers um, Sean Bockburn and Sarah Findlay, i think no she's actually got she's changed her name actually because um she had a little bit of a crisis in her life it's sarah anyway and another another lady from an agency and basically what i just asked them was how it feels to them when you've got somebody standing here beside you with no qualifications and they've obviously studied for years to be lecturers at university and just their ideas on what their students get out of service user involvement there Awesome.
0: All right, well, this is the segment uh, that Steve does. Thank you so much for thank doing it, and so thank much. you for talking to us. Thank it was a really, real pleasure. Obviously, welcome back anytime. Thank but you know that. Yes, you, you. know that. Much love. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to play uh, this segment now with Steve talking to to uh, the set, uh, said guests, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio, North East. Uh,
6: hi, everybody. Today I'm doing a quick interview with Sarah Lombay, who is a lecturer in advocacy, advocacy and engagement at Northumber University. Sean Brockbank... Who is also a lecturer in social work at Northumbria, and Dawn Jenkins, who is a project worker at Grandparents Plus. And I thought the idea of today was as most people know, service users are getting involved a lot more at the university, and that's from all backgrounds. And I was just wondering to put a question to the three years what do you as lecturers and as a project worker get out of service user involvement at the university? Uh, well, I think you know, for us it's really important that people who use services play a central role in, in what we deliver as a university, certainly on the social work programme. Uh, you know, I suppose our view very much is that t- the best social workers those students have had the experience of hearing from people who use services what it's like, what it meant to them who good social workers were well, who less good social workers were well. uh, and I think really the students get a, an awful lot from that as well they get an awful lot of experience from that one. From our our point of view, to take that on in in the practice. Uh, And the service user involvement always is really highly regarded and evaluated by students across the board. And could I just ask you all, what does it feel like, I mean, being qualified lecturers and project workers and such, and what does it actually feel like working alongside a service user? Does it feel strange? I mean, you've got a service user that comes in and does a presentation with no qualifications that you've studied all these years to be where you are. Does it, does I it feel strange? So. not strange. I, or? Strange. I no? love
8: that part. I working right. with different people and getting the chance okay. to meet different people.
9: And I think everybody, whether you're a lecturer, someone from an agency, a service user, whatever your background, or experience, you bring something unique and you bring different strengths, so I think that's a really powerful part of the programme that we actually tap into different people's strength and experience and hear what you have to say, Um, so I I think it's
8: a really great part of the job.
6: Because I know me being a service user myself, I know it gives me something to get up for in the morning, it gives me a sense of purpose. Yeah. and I'm achieving things that I never thought were possible. I mean, do what you as a project with at grandparents plus. What's your opinion, and do you think service users get a lot out of being involved here at the university? I
10: do. I think um, certainly our service users have found having the opportunity to talk about their experiences, good and bad, and see the students' reactions and know that that's going to impact how they are going to practise in the future is really important. But it's also... Um, see a transformation. A lot of the service user, users who get involved in things like this, so their confidence grows. They're able to do things that they wouldn't have done in the past. You'll come to the university, attending lectures, getting involved with assessments, that type of thing that they wouldn't have done in the past. So it's all skills that they can, you know, use for other things in their lives. That's it, as well. of course.
6: Go on to do better things, and it. it's all about improving your knowledge and being given the opportunity. About I know I wouldn't have been given this opportunity in the past, but it's made such a difference to my life. And I think we'll have to wrap it up there, but would anybody like to say anything before we before we wrap well, it up?
10: Just that, when I was a student myself, that yeah. a lot of what stuck with me were, were the lectures or the sessions where service users came in. Yeah. So to hear from people's experiences as a student myself, that was more powerful and, and it, stood, it stuck with me longer.
6: So. Thank you, because I know... I've been involved with the university for the last, I think, about five years. And I have to say that in all them five years, I've seen students outside of the university and I've never had one bad comment made. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always encouragement. And people say it takes a lot of guts to get up. And I think the point I'm trying to make as well is lots of people have problems and they bottle them up day to day. Mm -hmm. And if you come to the university and talk about your experiences, it's like a therapy for yourself as well. But I think that the hardest step... Is the first time you speak, right. and after that, I think it gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to say what a privilege it is to be involved at the university. And I'd like to thank Sarah, Sean, and Dawn for chatting with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Uh, huge thank you to Steve for talking so openly and eloquently about his social work and all the stuff that he's up to. That was I thought that was really awesome, and thank him for doing the segment. But we have an extra guest for today, someone who I didn't realise was going to be part of the show, and we crowbarred in because he's got some really interesting stuff to talk about. In particular, I'm geeking out right now because he has a Firefly book in front of him, which I'm a huge fan of. But everyone knows this already. But we will being laughing during the during the break because Sophie's wanted to die to ask a question, which is quite funny. So go ahead, Sophie.
1: Um, so, for those that don't know, what is role playing?
0: How dare you? We're <laughs> 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 not uh, Hello, David. By the way, first of all. Hello, I'm David. Yay! Thank you, Stephen. Uh, he was on two. You were on two shows ago. Um,
3: I was um, yes, talking about you. I book. was talking um, about um, dancing on the edge. Yeah, which is uh, great. But uh, there's another project I'm doing at launchpad at mm-hmm. the moment, and um, uh, well, basically, first, role playing is uh, a form of drama. It it involves um, improvised acting in which um, the success of everything that players decide to do is determined by the roll of dice and uh, uh, characteristics which are written on paper with pencils according to um, uh, the previous roles of dice or the decisions they've made. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's basically like, a, yeah, as as you're saying, it's like um, the the best way I describe it is that you're sort of the the players are creating the nav- narrative as you go, which yeah. is uh, and you it's can get a thing. yeah, it's a collaborative thing, and you have a a, 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 a GM uh, who who sort of helps yeah. run it. Uh, in which is generally
3: of, me, uh, yeah, in, uh, uh, in games the, that I'm involved mm-hmm. in, and particularly in this one because um, uh, I I've. Um, negotiated this with my boss, who mm-hmm. is uh, uh, Alistair Cameron, mm-hmm. who I'm sure you will have heard of. Yeah, can you and, read the show? And um, uh, I will be uh, running well, playing at broader cows in all really probability cool. in uh, uh, the coming months. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I hope to have several players because i um, uh, Firefly in particular works of the antics of a uh, crew of uh, a spaceship who are flying around in uh, a sci-fi <laughs> western where things don't go smooth.
0: Yes, a lot of piracy and and... and, and, yeah. and- Dealings uh, and mishap and all yes, sorts of cool uh, stuff. Other jigs. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so basically, as well, what, what needs to be said as well in regards to role playing, usually this is done over a number of weeks, so you, you keep yes. you keep going. So if people came to the first week of, of you doing this, the idea is that
3: you continue the story over a number of weeks, which is kind of fun. Yeah, so there's not essential not variants of every week For No, most but people, preferable. sure. Yeah. Most people are. Uh, being there would be a very good thing because there needs to be some continuity mm-hmm. and uh, there needs to be a, a sizable groove for the game to work properly because it works largely off the interaction between several people, mm-hmm. including the games master, who is a player himself, although a different sort of player. Mm-hmm. So um, have you any idea when this is starting, uh,
0: when when, when, the, when you're going to be doing these projects or is this just at the early stages right now? Uh, with Ormish Pad, I'm referring to.
3: Uh, gathering a crew at the moment, uh-huh. uh, the game will probably be starting out over. Mm-hmm. Did you just...
0: I, 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 I'm saying this half-cheekingly. Did you pick Firefly because it's just awesome and you just wanted to do Firefly?
3: I picked Firefly because I um, uh, asked my uh, uh, creative writing group what game I wanted to play because I definitely wanted to run one. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, they said, oh, well, we would like to do something vaguely political and we would like to do something vaguely sci-fi. <laughs> I thought, well, in that case, I would probably like, because that's what I want to do, which is uh, vaguely like that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, I guess the, to end this particular segment is to say, have we convinced you at all?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. It's been really, really insightful. Uh- yeah.
0: Do you kind of know more, or at least know more about it now? That kind of the, the rough idea of what it, what role playing is.
1: Yeah, it sounds really, really interesting. I mean, I was involved in drama in school, so I guess it's just another form of that. So, it is
3: really, in a sense. Yes, yeah, thank you. It, uh, it will. Um, uh, I'm confident be enjoyable for everyone who participates. Awesome. Uh, Hopefully including me. (laughs) Yeah, because if you don't like it, no one will.
0: (laughs) But that's awesome. But yeah, um, as I say, I'm sorry we're pressed for time, David, but a huge thank you for for having the opportunity to do that. And when you know more about it, please do come back and we'll talk a bit more about it when you've uh, figured out when it's going to be and whatnot. But um, that's really, really awesome that you're doing that and me being a role-playing fan. I think that's a genius idea. It's good for you.
3: (laughs) Um,
0: But thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. And um, me. No problem. No problem at all. Uh, so as I say, we've got um, a fair bit to, to get through. So the next segment we're going to be doing in relation to the pre-recorded stuff uh, is this. This is the Northeast Together chat that Bill Scott did interviewing three uh, individuals about about service users and their roads to success. Uh, also features uh, the very Alistair, um, Alistair, Alistair, who you mentioned earlier from Launchpad. Um, so let's say this is the uh, Bill Scott interview with the uh, Northeast Together um, guys, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio, Northeast. Uh,
8: it's Wednesday, 29th of July, and I'm with three wonderful members from Northeast Together. And um, perhaps you identify yourselves. You are.
11: I'm Catherine Hay. I am the chair of Northeast Together.
7: I'm Miss Lorraine, I'm the regional coordinator for North East Together.
12: I'm Alistair Cameron, I'm the social secretary and Evelyn Grease of <laughs> North East Together. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs>
12: and
8: just, just for the clarity of listeners, you are um, Bill Scott. North East Together, how long has it been running for you? North
7: East Together came about from some informal meetings from service users who lived in the north of the North East, namely Newcastle and Gates and Sunderland, networking with people from Durham, Middlesbrough, Darlington, and it was decided to be great, there's already a network that's run for several years in the north of Northumberland tenure, so Services and care network, we thought it'd be great to have a bigger network that also represented people from the south. We met informally for about 18 months and then we launched a uh, Services and carer conference in Durham in 2010. Uh, we had over 150 services and care there to mandate the setting up a the network. And the network's name came from a competition among services so and carers to name the network. So I think we're really, from the get-go, trying to be as services, allowed, as services and care-led as possible.
8: Wow, well, it's quite yeah. pure recourse, isn't it? Yeah. There, were, there were initiatives,
12: kind of precursor talks and gatherings beforehand, but realistically, five years.
8: Excellent. So, what's, uh, what's the state of play right now? I mean, you've had lots of successes. You've had a recent conference where you're involved at this age. You know. so all, all kinds of successes, in fact. Well, what, what we what we say the biggest one is this year so far?
7: Um, we've been doing some exciting work this year. We've, we've put in a funding bid for some peer support work in right down Cleveland, which is um, quite an economically de- deprived and quite a diverse area. We're hoping to set up some peer support work that will support people who are quite socially excluded and isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of the corner is we've worked with quite professional, high-level people at... A national public health conference at the SAGE engaged there over two days in the end of June um, where with the support of Time to Change regionally and nationally we train people to volunteer and do some, it's called So Me which is short for social media it's a bit like a human Twitter where people see volunteers' profiles displayed on a board, can have a conversation a human tweet with that person. It was a hugely successful event which was a satellite event for the conference. Um, but we're just talking to you today for several at the Tag, we've just had a uh, full members meeting and well, there was lots of positive feedback from our members who volunteered on the day. And it was also recognised that even though some of these people were public health leads, their knowledge about mental health and the stigma people faced wasn't as great as when they walked away from having conversations with our volunteers. Wow,
8: that's very impressive. Uh, do you have a website? We do. We, we do. Um, Some and
12: I
11: expert put together for us.
12: I, I think it, it, what needs noting amongst the achievements of North East Together, most, one thing is is the um, support for Mentally Sound Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the, the initiative that's led to mentally sound service users in action so North East Together has been an active partner in that but I think also uh, an achievement for the network has been securing the exclusive services um, of some of the most talented web design <laughs> creators um, in the northeast. So, I believe that somewhere you have the
8: the, the URL for the, the North East Together website. I certainly do. Um, we'll make sure that it's announced at the end of this uh, this feature. Right.
11: I think one of, one of my highlights from this year has got to be um, becoming an official hub for Enson, the national survivor user network, I think as chair of that was i that was a definite step in the direction that the network had sort of talked about and discussed action planned and, and achieved and it's really exciting We're going to be working more closely with ensign
12: so structurally that means that Service users can do stuff locally. They can do stuff in, in their part of the northeast, um, and then they can do stuff in the northeast. But also through the Anson links, that goes all the way to ministerial advisory groups to the the um, national working group on mental health. So up to the highest governmental levels.
11: So it's like we're not just working down into localities, which of course is like you yeah. know the most important thing we can do. But we have now have the ability for that to go up to the highest level work we do at the county level, it's really positive.
8: And I um, gather this region is um, very significant in the general work of Ensign.
7: I I think it's interesting to find out that Ensign covers the whole of England and in the northeast, where one of the leading areas for really good meaningful engagement across the region, obviously mm-hmm. in some areas it's stronger than others because historically they've had the funding behind them mm-hmm. but we're now um, due to some work that Catherine's been doing, we're supported by North East Tiar. South uh, Tees, let's make it, no, let's no, not
11: leave out Red Cream
7: sorry, South Tees we now have um, a development project to establish the user voice in the South Tees area which has been sort of neglected for a few years and that, that's, that's flourishing again and hopefully we're going to have a good user voice organisation up and running by the end of the yeah. year's project.
12: We are lucky in this region in that we've had a degree of stability amongst lots of people who have been, are still in position who have been working um, or volunteering over a great many years in, in getting stuff together and build up a head of steam in mm-hmm. the region. We've also been quite lucky in terms of it's, it's, this is a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, in terms of the northeast has traditionally been a, a somewhat neglected area, it's seen as remote from from London Whitehall and all of their commands and their their dictates. Um, and also mental health is a bit of a has traditionally been a bit, bit of a neglected area as well. Um, and that does mean that we've missed out on resources and such like, but it's also meant that we've evaded a degree of control and scrutiny from the centre. So to a degree, we've been allowed to just actually get on and, and, and do stuff. So. Um, not so a lot we of resources have to do things
11: yeah. ourselves, so we have done. Yes, uh,
12: but but there's been there's not been someone stepping in saying what doing. There's, you doing. Know, Isn't um Yeah. Yes
8: that's so just allowed you to be recreative and successful actually.
12: yes I wouldn't recommend properties of life's <laughs> Um but the benefit structurally is that well, if, if, if someone's not funding you then they can't they, then equally they can't tell you what to do
8: mm-hmm. yeah I think it's a growing trend towards <sighs> developing stuff across the company the communities coming together and so forth
3: yeah it's an
8: old necessity, and it's—it's yes. it's amazing how it's brought it out to me. It? Yes, it's sad that it's going to be like that in some ways, but it's also very stimu- its a very stimulating time.
12: It, it is. I—I um, I wouldn't necessarily like to say that this government's policies are the mothers of invention. <laughs>
11: Mothers <laughs> well, of rebellion, I'm, yeah,
12: right? and I, I, I think a certain, a certain famous musician would definitely be turning in his grave.
7: And talking of government, maybe gives us a chance to do a shameless plug for some of our working groups and that oh, yes, take yeah. part
8: in. So, I think you've got three main ones at the moment.
7: We we'll have, and I'll, I'll talk about the one relating to central government first, which is we recognised when. The Conservative-Lib Dem coalition government came into power in 2010 and brought in its welfare reform plans, so that this was going to have a devastating effect on the region's services and carers. So initially, uh, the development work for some of the mental health users suggested we establish a welfare reform action group, which we did, and then that had a little sabbatical, but we revived it. Um, about 18 months ago, and one of the key pieces of work the group's achieved so far is a health manifesto, which not doesn't just cover the effects of welfare reform on people, but also looks at things like meaningful occupation and making recovery possible, um, but it does highlight some of the effects welfare reform's had on regional service users, and asks and campaigns for a fairer system for, for all. Um, We've also identified that stigma is a massive issue with the service services and carers, which I think it is across the rest of the country as well, and have established a regional anti-stigma partnership. In pockets in the North East, we've got groups like Hearts and Minds in Middlesbrough and AIM North Townside, and the Gateshead Anti-Stigma Partnership, the campaign on a local level about the effects of stigma and challenging it in raising awareness, and we're trying to coordinate that work and also have a regional basis as well. We're working very closely with Angela of Time to Change, who's also one of our trustees. And um, we meet every other month, either in Durham or in the north of the region. Um, we'll put up links to how you can get involved in our working groups somehow.
11: And I yeah. think... Um, a key thing about our working groups, and it kind of relates to what Alice was saying before, is that the working groups are based on feedback we've received from our members about what people are. It's not like we've given commands from above about what we should be working on as a network. We're listening to our members and the issues that they are raising and, and focusing on the ones that are closest to
12: their um, i would say hearts but I don't think welfare reform is, <laughs> is that's quite the way to describe it, welfare it reform direct, I, uh, books, it's a subject that tremendous passion and I, I to a degree we have to be slightly political with the small people not political with party but politics on this because None of the parties have got terribly clean hands on on this. Some um, of the worst, some of the the accessors um, uh, and the, the, the likes of and such were brought in under under a Labour government. We have to be, and so the, the, there's no wider overarching. We're doing this for some national organisation. No, we we do we we start work on this. Quite a while ago, and if anything, it's other people have jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, yeah,
10: we've been we doing this for
12: before. since before Northeast Together was was called Northeast Together, um, and it's it's arisen from genuine um, need for, fra- for
11: people to have a voice for
12: front- frontline concerns, as opposed to oh, this is a, this is a this is a good policy to you know to make our name with. It's like actually, it's not about making making our name. Um, uh, and it's not about being yoked know, to any anyone else's agenda. This is actually, you know, real distress um, being imposed upon people, real hardship and real distress, um, which is wholly unwarranted and unjustified. <coughs>
8: um,
12: and I know that you've got several, you yourself have got several... Um, ideas in your back pocket at any given time (laughs) Bill Um, and uh, some of those are are coming to fruition Uh, I know that with the um, with the help of Northeast Together you're expanding the ADHD yeah the adult adult ADHD ADHD. yeah would you you tell us a little more about (laughs) that
8: well uh, the sport group was started about four years ago as a result of um, me getting a diagnosis and there was no help available really outside of the clinic and uh, the medical model and uh, so that's grown quite clear over the last four years and now we're expanding into the south of the region the um,
12: yeah. <laughs> and, and when, when's the first meeting in the south of the region?
8: well the um, well the next the next two meetings, the north and the south are in the same week on uh, Monday the 17th uh, there's a meeting at um, the Recovery College at next Nick's Hospital. 17th of August. Yeah, in and then In the on evening. In the evening, yeah. Sixth six. Third. o'clock onwards, yeah. Six. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a follow-up week. The, the, the first middle room meeting. Ever. Ever. In, uh, inaugural. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, takes place on Wednesday the 19th at six o'clock. Yes. At, six at
11: six. Newport Hope or Newport Settlement, shall I say, which is a community hub in Middlesbrough. Um, it's fairly easy to find, and it's also fairly near the bus station, and it's not not that far from the train station, but I'm um,
8: mm-hmm. hoping... I, I think it's really great to see that the two groups working together as one. Really.
11: We have a fantastic website, of course.
12: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Built by the best talent in the North East. Yeah. Now, can I just touch Mish? Um, when is the next open North East Together meeting?
7: It will be in October. October? It's normally the last Wednesday of the month, in which case it will be... Can you hear the pages? Can you hear the pages lapped out on Wednesday the twenty eighth of October?
12: Wednesday twenty eighth of October.
7: The venue in Middlesbrough to in, be
12: confirmed. it be in Middlesbrough and it'll be in the afternoon.
7: Yes, from one pm with lunch and travel expenses provided.
12: And should any listener want to get further or better details, they should just email you.
7: Yep. Mish, that's M I S H dot Lorraine, L O R E I N E at any together.
0: Oh, I love that song. It's called Bang Your Drum, and I think it's called Dead Man. What did you say? What what do you think it was, Sophie? Uh, I think it's Dead Man
1: Walking or Dead Mouth 5. I'm not sure. Dead
0: Man something, so maybe the first one. But anyway, type it in Twitter, uh, Bang Your Drum. It's Craig Ferguson did it for his last show uh, on his uh, his, um, Late Late Show for his final episode, and that's how I heard that band, and they're a great Scottish band. Go and check them out. They're awesome. But anyway, um, mental health news time. Please welcome to the show. I don't know why I'm doing it. Like It's a boxing match. I'm coming now. Uh, um, but a huge welcome to Vivid Ricky. Oh, well, Ricky, obviously, but I just wanted to name you Twitter. Because <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. Um, but um, hello, hi, Ricky. Welcome How are you doing? To, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, sir? I'm not too
2: bad. How are you, Sophie?
1: I'm great, thanks. Go Go
0: awesome. In. But you have a lot of stuff to natter about, so I'm going to let the floor be yours because this is mental. Obviously, for those that haven't listened to the show before, uh, this is a segment where Ricky discusses with us, uh, obviously with us doing monthly shows, we talk about mental health news, and Ricky picks out some of the best bits that's happened during the month, and we debate it oh, for for 10 minutes or so, so Ricky's got a few things to say, so fire away!
2: Will do. Um, all right, let's not quick... Li- not literally. Not literally, no, no, it's, n- it's not that sort of show. Um, you, are you a fan of Tetris at all, or any
0: games as such? No, I'm not, I'm not even remotely a geek. okay. <laughs> 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 That's a no, big I, lie, everybody. I, I, I absolutely... yeah. am um, not a huge fan of terrorists, but I've played it. I know what it is, obviously. Uh,
2: well, I, I kind of was a fan. The reason is... Uh, well, it kind of makes sense now because uh, recent research in uh, the magazine of Psychological Science um, suggests that intrusive visual memories associated with things like PTSD, which we talked about last time the soldiers, um, by playing visually demanding games they can have a good effect on suppressing thoughts which could, like, overwhelm people who are suffering these sorts of conditions. Now, in my own experience, going back a few years, I had one of these sort of Game Boy-type things by my bedside, and I would actually play a few hours of Tetris every now and then. And I think, I don't know if it was compulsion, or it definitely wasn't just because I just fancied doing it there and then off the cuff or for a whim. But yes, research does suggest that people who have viewed traumatic t- events on film, or if there's been a theatre of war, if they play a few minutes of Tetris, something's very similar, um, they get less repetition of that trauma um, going on in their minds. So so when I read that, you can imagine, you know, what I used to do back then, it just really made sense. I just thought that was a really interesting piece of research. Uh, like yeah, I mean,
0: the, the, this is something I actually... It's funny you say this, because mm-hmm. this is something... You know it's not just like video game related because mm-hmm. i i actually run a twitch channel with my company that plays games every day mm-hmm. and i'm a firm believer in that gaming enhances your life and mm-hmm. it, it it um it leads i mean i have a community on there that watch me regularly and we chat which is one of the reasons i love it sure and that leads to me talking about you know i i did a podcast yesterday on my on my show talking about um talking about star trek and sure. you know i have a star trek tattoo which everyone knows yep. about and And I said that one of the reasons that it resonates with me so strongly and, like, the role-playing game we touched on earlier with David is that It's escapism. It's it's a way of being able to forget about the life that you have, whether good or bad, Mm -hmm. and it reinforces it in either a good way or uh, or reinforces that things aren't as bad as they seem. And that's literally how I feel about like whenever I watch a Star Trek episode. If I'm feeling bad, Mm -hmm. it reinforces that like you know this is reminding me that it's I enjoy it and it kind of gets me out of a bad frame of Mm -hmm. mind some Mm -hmm. of the time, not all the time, most of the time. And when I'm good, it reinforces my good feeling because it Mm -hmm. it. It has enough escapist feeling sure. towards it that sure. you forget what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So all this kind of stuff in regard to video games and the creative mm-hmm. edge of it and all that and that feeling, I think, is really. Because I think a lot of really the time we hear a
2: lot of negative effects, like too much game or too much of this, too much of that. You hear something in the press. The reason why somebody snapped or turned is because they played too much of a game. We, we very rarely hear the benefits of what somebody, something playing like that, gets something out of. You know, into that zone you were talking about before. Mm. I think that's really important to address,
0: um, and also, but also, really, that comes down to okay, Sophie. Into this is is just to to say it's it, everything in moderation. Absolutely, that's literally what it is. It's mm-hmm. not a case of that it's bad for you. It's only mm-hmm. it's bad for you in the sense of you do it too much. Well, it's too like, much of anything. You, is bad. Yeah, anyway. if you eat too much food, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if you if you eat too much of one particular vitamin or protein, or you eat too much of one thing, yeah. that's bad for you in the sense of in the sense of you're not getting a, a, a moderate diet and mm-hmm. that's ultimately the issue it's not that you're eat it's not it's not and in some cases it's not what it's not how much you're eating it's what you're eating and it's and and as i say if you do majority of things in moderation mm-hmm. uh that that it isn't overbearing in your life then it doesn't mm-hmm. matter it doesn't matter i mean what, what what do you think in relation to this sophie i mean do you think it's a case of you know being you know uh having moderation in your life and making sure you just go and go over the top with certain things
1: uh, yeah I, re- I really think that's important especially with mental health issues i mean you need that distraction there mm-hmm. which is what my blog does for me which is what yeah. youtube does for me um but you can't let something consume your life so much mm-hmm. because then you forget about other things you're gonna forget to look after yourself and mm-hmm. um, so i definitely agree that things are moderation i mean as you were saying that i can remember playing pokemon games Mm -hmm. on a game boy advance Mm -hmm. when i was about 14 15 and i could sit on there for absolute absolute ages and my mental health symptoms started around about the age of 14 and yeah it just took took me away for a bit and as you said the escapism before
2: well i just hope with this research it can help you sort of think back to that time and actually it probably helped you out back then rather than you look back and think oh it was embarrassing that you know i played this i played that when really Guys guys and girls with our conditions actually aided us in a way and got us to a good zone rather than sort of I think that's back.
0: changed now, I think with the with the advent of the internet and and mm. the the availability of so many different platforms now, like you can go back and play a game that I played as a child, yeah, and I think because you can do that now and and show people. You play in a particular thing or whatever, or stream a an old te- mm-hmm. television series because of the accessibility. Mm-hmm. Is that think people now have, uh, have the the nostalgia feeling towards it that they mm-hmm. that they, that you kind of you mention something and they go, oh, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. That happens to me all the time. Whenever mm-hmm. I mention something, they go, that was a great show. or Why did you like that yeah. show? It was rubbish. Yeah. But it's done in a kind of <laughs> yeah. debatey like. Mm-hmm debatey like it's not done in a you know in a cruel way (laughs) Uh, um, and you're not ridiculed for it anymore which uh,
3: i think but at the end of the day
2: given that all that stuff's readily readily available and so out there it's about it's down to us now to find that balance i guess you know so Mm. as you say it's in moderation Mm -hmm, um next piece you mentioned tattoos just then um there's there's something was it i think it was kicked off on social media but project semicolon uh, you've not heard this before, Steve, no, so we'll, haven't, we'll, no. me and Sophie will flee in on this. But um, people out there, particularly young people who feel, who have been either suicidal or on the brink or that so forth, they've gone themselves and got themselves a tattoo of a semicolon, which is a circle with a comma underneath. You aware of that one? Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is a visual reminder that when they're at their brink, when they've had an attempt that goes on because project, you know, semicolon isn't the end, it's not a full stop, it's not an exclamation mark, it's lead on to another thing, so it's a visual reminder that mm-hmm. you can go on, there's a continuation, it gives up people hope. Mm-hmm. So this has really kicked off. Um, Sophie, you, you've done a blog piece about this, haven't you? What, uh, what more can you tell us about that?
1: So I did a blog post on it, um, it was a few weeks ago now, and I'm just kind of exploring it because um, I know a few friends um, that are thinking about getting that tattoo, um, but they said to me oh, well, I haven't experienced mental health problems yeah. but I want to get it, so I kind of explored it like as a fad. Is it something that's yeah. just it's a fashion statement? Mm-hmm. Um, and I concluded that it wasn't. But mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about getting it myself. Um,
2: and I'm in agreement. I'm actually thinking of it as well. I mean, the only time I ever thought about not a tattoo was like a Native American one back in the '90s or whatever it was. But it, since then, I've not really uh, it's not really entered my my thought process. But I actually quite like this one. And it's not something I wouldn't mind looking. At. And I'm sitting next to you, Steve. And tattoos is not alien to you, is
0: it? Uh, no, I've got none. Do not even know what you are talking about? Uh, uh, well, from, uh, a, uh, pers- from listening
2: to what we've just said, uh, what's your immediate? No, impact?
0: I think that's kind of cool. Um, uh, that sounds awesome. To kind, uh, you know, because uh, if it's something that kind of include, you know, it includes people mm-hmm. and reinforces something that's a positive thing, I'm mm-hmm. all for it. Like. Definitely. And I, I, it. I guess the 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 bigger element of that is if, if I, I, it baffles me the idea of people who have a, a problem with tattoos because mm-hmm. it's not your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I I look at certain people who have tattoos and go that's weird. But I kind of go you know, but I don't kind of I, I probably don't know the 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 story behind it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, as I say, it's their right to do whatever they mm-hmm. choose with their body. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's you know as we touched on earlier, they could do something harmful like eat too much. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of the the rule, is that you know that that's the you know to have a sort of free society, we want it, you should be able to do whatever you want, and tattoos is just mm. a, a byproduct of that.
2: Yeah, I um, mean, something like this is quite it's quite a subtle um, symbol, if you like. It's not something that's immediately out there. I mean, people yeah, so have con- it everywhere, don't they? There's it's not like controversial, pro- no. So in the palm of their hand, I've seen it have people have them on their ankles, stuff like that, just wherever you feel it's appropriate, really. And mm. and actually, mental health t- and tattoos is it's a. A relationship I've seen on social media that's gotten quite close together. I've seen them, people have put like you know motifs or like symbols, signs, something that's reflective back in the mirror, just to say that you know. Um,
1: yeah, there was there was that um, thing the other day on social media um, where a woman had a tattoo, and when she looked at it, um, it said something. But when she put it in a mirror, or yeah. when somebody else saw it, it was something yeah. completely different. Yeah. Um, I think it. I think it was oh, something. I think when she saw it, was I'm fine, and then yeah. the other side of it was save me. I that's think that's right. Was. Yeah, I've seen it. I've um, and one, and yeah. that, had a, I know that had
0: a really, really powerful It reads impact. back to you at the mirror, yeah. but if
2: people see it full on, straightforward, it doesn't like resonate. An yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Ah, oh, that's very interesting. Well, I mean, um, I mean, one of the reasons I uh, at the someone asked me about this on, on my on my channel yesterday is that I showed my hand tattoos, which I'm showing the guys now. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, like you know, obviously it says love, but if you look really closely, it has an eye in the middle, so you can also say live. Um, mm-hmm. And so it kind of has two separate meanings because quite it clever, also yeah. means as well when you look closely to it is that it obviously has two separate mean- se- mm-hmm. separate separate ways you can look at it. And I did that because um, I find it sort of fascinating that people might just look at a tattoo with face value and not think about the yeah. meaning behind yeah. it. So yeah. by having a sort of hidden thing there. Um, that's only I know and I don't really care if no one notices it that's just for me to go it also means live as well
1: I think that's really Um, important with the semicolon tattoo though mm. I mean obviously quite a lot of people know what it's about but Mm. the tattoo is going to be unique to that person even though it's the same thing even if Hundreds of people have got a semicolon tattoo. It's still going to mean something personal and unique to them because it's their own it's mental health journey. It's personally unique, and it's,
2: it's also a symbol of solidarity in a way amongst yeah. people who kind of experiencing similar conditions. It's sort of like a, I wouldn't say a statement, but a visual kind of symbol to say that you know I would know yeah, where you're coming I've from. Gone I've gone through the same as, well, as you. Yeah. yeah? So, mm-hmm. so the more I, the more I read about that case, actually, the more I'm I'm impressed by it, and I think it's a good thing.
0: I'd say we're a little bit pressed for time, so if you want to just uh, have a brief rundown of some of the stuff that you were going to get to, as a kind of like, quick fire, quick fire round, Ricky. (laughs) Quick one,
2: um, mental health in the Asian community. Uh, A doctor by the name of Dinesh Bugra, who's a professor at uh, King's College. Uh, He wants to, the NHS, to ensure that the more culturally sensitive and appropriate staff as well this is because more and more people in the asian community you know because the stigma is so big about mm-hmm. mental health conditions that people are basically suffering in silence so um i mean i'm of indian heritage so i know exactly what th- this thing is about so um so i was really pleased when he came out with this um you know, a lot of Asian girls, women in particular, when they, go th- when they reach that sort of barrier, of, you know, beyond teenage years, yeah. they're automatically almost thinking about, you know, settling down, that sort of thing. Should I study? It's a part of a cultural kind of pressure in a way, with a lot of peer pressure. but um, So they made me to see it suffering science, I know my own mother, she had really bad um, postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. Um, she only came out towards it towards me when I came out with my own breakdown, mm-hmm. and the result, me and my mum are like you know really close now, better than we ever been before. So, if that's a if that's a program, if if more NHS staff, more staff or, or people, of more culture where I break this taboo down, then then yeah, the Asian community and, and other communities who where this sort of barriers is 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 there needs taken down
0: yeah totally agree with that uh, as zero mm-hmm. press for time so that'll sure. have to do, have to do in, re- in relation to mental health this time round but uh, as I mentioned earlier uh, mm-hmm. Twitter you're on Twitter do you want to mention your Twitter handle quickly
2: I am Vivid Ricky um, V-I-V-I-D R-I-C-K-Y um, what's yeah. your Twitter handle now Sorry. <laughs> i was, you just you did set it up <laughs> you told me to would be machine <laughs> fire so <don't> <laughs> I... <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah whenever something mental health related is in the news I'm quite happy to share yeah, it yeah so. you're very active so I, I, was do, watching, yeah. I was watching
0: I was watching I am not watching I was obviously re- I was reading the, uh, some of the comments you made the
2: other
1: day there's oh, a, interesting. Was well, a it's, lot of
0: Twitter love here today Twitter love. It. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's the future <laughs> it's already here Stephen uh, <laughs> but no it's all good so thank you so much for coming thanks, in Ricky guys. as per usual obviously Pleasure. see you in the next show yeah, and thank you for your Cheers. contribution as per usual thanks um, Ricky we are in a bit of a, a, bit of a rush. and trying to get as much in uh, the show as we can, obviously, and we're a little bit behind. Uh, so what I thought we'd do is, because I know um, Sophie was diligently helping me out with this for, in terms of my notes, is because we're going to do the uh, Bravo & Co. solicitors. Uh, uh, sorry? Blavo. Blavo. Did I say that wrong? Sorry, Blavo. Madame, autocorrect are um, in my notes. <laughs> uh, sorry, Blavo & Co., I should say. Uh, solicitors of Victoria interviews uh, Ashley Coates and Kirsty Stewart. Uh, the new gatehead offices which is the biggest mental health solicitors in England uh, which I which uh, they, uh, they headquarters which i thought was incredibly interesting and uh, she went there to, to interview the guys and uh, I got an update before that I need to mention uh, in relation to that Ashley has started her actual law course, at LPC is it, was it, was it yes, called? Yes,
1: it's the law practical
2: course.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it and also to mention that you can follow them on Twitter which is at AC that's capital A, capital C underscore mental health uh, is that right? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, Um, just a quick heads up, Um, if you do want to follow Mentally Sound on Twitter it's at Mentally at underscore, underscore mentally <laughs> sound,
0: sound. Yeah. Yeah. where you can tweet us now Gareth's watching it right now and obviously we'll uh, read them at the end of the show as well and we can, we obviously we'll, we'll, we'll keep up to date with it as well so huge thank you to all the support so what we're going to do is going to play this Bravo & Co uh, section uh, right now and uh, also oh, I should quickly mention as well that they're also running a free uh, law clinic at the Mind Wellbeing Centre at Dunsbar Grove in Bensham Bensum- Benjamin, sorry my dyslexia <laughs> uh, from, 12, uh, from the 12th of October 1pm till 3pm and then on a monthly basis from that point on so uh, awesome source so I uh, highly recommend you go and check all that stuff out and follow them on Twitter and whatnot. but I'll say this is the interview that uh, Victoria does in their Gateshead uh, headquarters uh, with um, Ashley and Kirsty and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio North East
4: my name's Victoria. I'm with Mentally Sound at Gravity Radio Northeast and I'm here today with Ashley Coates, an administration assistant and Kirsty Stewart, a mental health solicitor for Blavo and Co. And this is their new Gateshead offices and they are here as part of the biggest mental health legal practice in England. So Firstly, uh, we're going to start with you Kirsty, if that's okay. And I want to just ask you to tell us a little bit about your role here at Blava & Co. Sort of, what does it involve in relation to mental health and mental health legislation? Okay, so um, I'm a solicitor specialising
13: in mental health. So um, I qualified initially uh, as a solicitor and then, um, so I represent clients who are subject to the Mental Health Act and the Mental Capacity Act. So it could be clients who have been detained in hospital um, or ones that have been in hospital or their families. So it's about protecting their human rights and making sure that um, nothing is being done which is untoward with regards to the law. Um, I represent them at different meetings and things and
4: really just make sure that, that everything's running smoothly. And what sort of education and training did you have to have in order to become a mental health solicitor? So I did, um, I did my law degree and then post
13: I did the um, legal practice course which is a prerequisite to any solicitor or barrister and then I joined a firm as a caseworker doing mental health and then moved on to being a trainee solicitor and finally qualified as a solicitor last
4: year fantastic and could you tell us a little bit about the sort of people and organizations that support you and work alongside you? Okay so, um, so yeah so we
13: work quite closely with um, independent mental health advocates quite a lot so they're people who also support um, people in hospital and um, they can attend doctor's meetings with them and um, they've got a really vital role um, in a client's case and um, we work alongside charities um, quite a lot and um, like I'm a trustee for Tyneside Mind, so we work quite closely with people like Mind or Rethink,
9: um, that sort of thing. Ashley. Yeah, so I am an admin assistant at Blav- Blavo Um I graduated from the University of Warwick this time last year. Um, before joining Blavo Co., I worked at a small legal services firm in Durham for six months, um, that
4: was in civil fraud. Could you tell us a little bit about any involvement that you have with any other mental health organisations?
9: Yeah, so personally, um, I work
4: quite closely with Rethink
9: Mental Illness. I'm attending one of their committee meetings for the North Eastern Yorkshire next week. Um, basically, I mean, I've, I've been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Um, that was in my second year of university, just before exams. And I found that Rethink Mental Illness really, really helped me. Um, it's basically a charity that believes that a better life's possible for people affected by mental illness um, and and I, I really enjoy working working alongside those.
4: Well I think it's a very inspiring story that you yourself have come through um, mental issues and obviously now working to help and support those people who. Yeah yeah, yeah. definitely I
9: mean that's that's certainly something that got me into um, working within mental health um, as well as that I mean my, my granddad My granddad was rather unwell. Um, He had Parkinson's disease, and with that goes with Lewy bodies, um, which is basically the same as dementia, but not quite dementia. Um, I was only 16 when he passed away, and my family were basically his 24-hour carers. Um, I couldn't help as much as I wanted to because of my age at the time, and I think that's certainly something that's got me into mental health because mental health law is really about protecting vulnerable people, um, and that's what I want to do, so, yeah.
4: Yes, so you, Kirsty, could you please perhaps um, explain a little bit about what attracted you to working within mental health legal services?
13: So um, for me, really, um, I did, I studied medicine before I studied law. So um, for me, it was a really good way to mix the two together. So with the medical background and a legal background, it was a really interesting way to mould them. Um, But also I did a mental health module um, during my postgraduate um, year at Northumbria. So I found that that really kind of sparked it off. And then I got immediately after graduation, I got a job as a mental health case worker. So really, it started from there and it's only grown. So yeah. it's five years and counting now that
4: I've done it. So those are both uh, extremely sort of inspirational, personal stories that are quite different in terms of your backgrounds and, you know, what brought you here. What would you say is the most challenging element of your work? Um, I think sometimes it's about
13: balancing clients' instructions, best interests and what you can actually do within the law. So, it's not always necessarily that I can you know obviously I can't go against legislation, I can't you know necessarily always do what the client is hoping that I can do, and I think it's about trying to manage that, but also it's about putting weight to it when I'm making sure that um the human rights are being upheld. I think that's really important, and that's what I try and like push towards to make sure that if there's an opportunity where I can get it i will I will get it as close as I can, you know
1: yeah.
4: And Ashley, would you say that there's a particular element of your work you find challenging whether or not it's sort of here in the administration mm-hmm. capacity or outside with your sort of roles mm-hmm. with Rethink? Um, well, right now, actually, whilst I'm working in administration, because the office
9: is so new, I've been able to work really alongside Kirsty. So I've been doing a lot of mental health work and... Um, I do plan on becoming a mental health caseworker and then following the path that Kirsty has done. So it's great being able to learn from her. And I think that at the minute, what I think would be the most challenging part is is just not becoming attached to clients. Um, because I am quite a talkative person and, and do like to meet people and you know help the vulnerable and whatnot, I, I think that it could be difficult for me not to get attached. Um, but obviously, Kirsty's going to be with me along the way and um, yeah, hopefully guide me and teach me how not to let that be a challenge
4: yes I mean I suppose when you've said you've got such a personal investment in mental health yourself through your own experiences and family experiences I think it's uh very admirable that you're able to separate the professional and the, the personal feelings especially around such vulnerable people and such complicated mm. cases um, so Ashley could you perhaps mm. tell me a little bit about the blogging that mm-hmm. you do and whether or not that ever ties into your work and especially how it ties into sort of the wider mental health community mm-hmm.
9: yes yeah um, so I started the blog just after I started working for Blavo and Core really um, at the time I started because I thought it would be a bit of a marketing boost for the firm really um, I started blogging about mental health and law, um, so maybe certain things to do with um, certain sections or police powers for detaining people, those sort of things. Um, and I was getting a bit of a sort of an audience built up, um, but I wanted to keep it impersonal at the time. I was actually quite quite frightened of of telling people publicly that I had been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And then I was, I just thought to myself, well. How can I tell people that they need to talk about the mental health issues in order to improve it if I won't do it myself? So I did the blog post about my own mental health issues and yeah, it, it got a great a great response. I've sort of guest blogged for Time to Change um, and Action for the Elderly and things like that. And um, yeah, it's it's just great. It helps me and if it also helps people others at the same time then fantastic. <laughs>
4: Well, on behalf of our listeners um, on Mentally Sound at Gravity Radio North East, do you perhaps have a, an address so people would be able to access the blog, should they want to yes, have a look? Yeah,
9: so it's www.ashleymentalhealth, that's all one word, and Ashley is spelled dot com.
4: Well, I'll certainly be checking that out. We have spoken about blogging on the show. They are fascinating and empowering and you know incredible stories but i think to have this this legal spin and you know that's tied to it is something completely different from anything i've mm. seen and you know i do recommend that people check that out Thank you. <laughs> so um what would you say is either the best part of the job or your greatest moment so far working within mental health legal services and i'll put that first to um Kirstie. um i think I think it's a difficult one really because I think really for me
13: it's partially about getting a successful discharge for a client but then sometimes they're not always wanting that they're not always wanting that discharge what they want what I think the best part of my job is actually getting the result that they're after you know trying to make the best of the situation for the client and really you know trying to achieve it I think as long as I feel as though they feel empowered to to really know how to assert the rights and make sure that you know, their human rights aren't being breached, then that means I've done my job properly. So I try and treat them as though though I want my family members treated. You know, I give them as much information as I've got because there's no point in me keeping it all to myself. The whole point is I'm supposed to be, you know, empowering other
4: people. Do you find that communications can be awkward, particularly with people who've got complicated needs? Um, it can be. Some people don't have capacity that I deal with.
13: Um, some people are quite unwell when I first meet them, yeah. um, you know, and experience symptoms, which means it's not easy to talk about things. Um, and I think it's really, it's about trying to sort of alter your approach and really just going their pace and really trying to make sure that, you know, you tailor it to their understanding and making sure that, you know, if, if you need to go back again and again and repeat information, then, then I'll do that. It's about, you know, just just trying to
4: see what's the best route for them. I mean, that sounds incredibly empowering considering how complicated, uh, even for the most well or educated people, the the legal system can be, that you are making that effort and trying to be empathetic and trying to understand that there are complexities of need. So I think that's fantastic. What would you say was your either best moment or the favourite part of your job then, Ashley? Um, So
9: I would say that the greatest moment so far of working within mental health services is really just the development of my skill set. So before I came to Unco I hadn't worked within mental health before. Um, I'd worked in civil fraud. I'd had quite a few work experiences in commercial law, housing law, employment, and none of those were for me. Um, I'm not really the type of person who would sit at the desk until 2 a.m. in the morning and work on a contract for a client who I'd never get to see. Um, That's just not... Not me, you know. Um, I like getting out there and being able to to speak to people. And, yeah, it's really... It, this role has given me the opportunity, really. I mean, Kirsty explained the education side of, of breaking into mental health law. Um, I'm very much starting at the bottom right now. You know, I've got my law degree in September. I'm starting the legal practice course. Um, but being here and being able to work so closely with Kirsty, I think it's really... I'm learning a lot more than I would... Otherwise, even though my position right now is admin assistant, I'm basically learning the ropes of, of mental health and how to be a mental health solicitor, which I think is absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Um, so hopefully within around five to six years, I'll be able to qualify as a mental health solicitor. Fingers Fantastic. crossed.
4: Fantastic, yeah. And no doubt in five to six years, we'll come back and we'll pick your brain again about whether the journey's been as exciting yeah. and uh, hands-on as you've yeah. expected. Might not be as positive. Oh, <laughs> You'll make a great solicitor. Honestly, doubt yourself. Well, (laughs) thank you so much um, to Ashley Coates and to uh, Kirsty Stewart for speaking with us today on Mentally Sound at Gravity Radio Northeast, and thank you very much to and Co for uh, allowing us to have this interview with you. Um, it's been extremely interesting and hopefully if our listeners have got any questions we might be able to feed those back to you and uh, hopefully speak with you again so uh, thank you very much thanks
0: a time. lot to Victoria we're back in the studio I was going to play a song during this particular time uh, but actually um, we're running uh, a bit um uh Behind in the schedule, so what we 're going to do instead is i 'm going to play um, some music uh, and then a blog post that I did, so I want to just quickly uh, do the, um, the intro in, in terms of just giving you a quick heads up as to what this is um, About a month ago, as it's, uh, I did a, a blog post, and I asked basically behind the scenes as i 'll say in this blog, so i 'm not going to, to give too much away is um, I talk about um, uh, about my experiences with bipolar disorder and how, and how sort of difficult that was. And and it's obviously, you know, amazingly important to me. And um, I'm just looking on the section and it's not there. Or is it on here? Maybe sorry i'm just i'm checking this i maybe have to like make sure i've got the right one i think it's i think it's this thing anyway anyway sorry. i'm just looking at the screen going i don't have it but i think it's that i think it's because it's the song Uh, anyway but anyway so i'm gonna play that uh blog for you now and it explains in the intro what it really is and it's about it's a very important personal thing to me and it was hard to do so i hope you appreciate it because it was very difficult to do so he has uh some music and then my blog post uh so i hope you enjoy Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mentally Sound. A huge thank you to everyone that's listening uh, to the show. Your support is greatly appreciated. And a huge thank you to Gareth and uh, the team behind the scenes giving me the opportunity to act out this blog post uh, for the listeners. Um, uh, In relation to context about what this is about, um, I wrote a blog post about a month ago that I was really honoured the SANE charity on Twitter. I promoted it over a long weekend. Uh, It's on my website, Gigapocalypse, where basically... um, I I talked about my situation that I went through with my bipolar disorder over the last year, where it basically destroyed my life. Uh, There's no really other way of saying it. Um, uh, To the point of where I ended up in a psychiatric ward towards the end of last year for a couple of months. and nearly lost my life due to the medication I was taking that ended up being detrimental and also wanting to give up by ending my life and I know I don't say that flippantly or with a bravado sense but literally that's what it was like um, because I think back to it now and I guess the more brutal and, and and honest thing I can say is that wanting to end my life still now seems a better option than the pain and experience I was feeling during it and I even think that now even in a position where I feel better and, and, and well uh, I, I hope that really does reinforce how terrifyingly painful and and unbearable mental health can get and it's not an individual's fault that it ended up that way and that's really why I wanted to share it because you may be thinking as I say that then why go through the trouble of making it you know of, of, of bringing back some memories that you don't want to talk about is because I'm not prepared to put it in a box like people who decide to not care about you anymore and say that you know it's your fault that you're feeling bad about your illness and and you're not coping because that's the ignorant delusional attitude that worries me about the way we deal with mental health because I'm not prepared to put my mental health in a box and pretend it doesn't happen you know I'm not going to treat it like an old coat where it's in the house somewhere like a memory but it's inside a box where I'll get it out every so often to remind me of of a different period of my life it is I, I don't disrespect it in that way it is a part of my life and will always will be but it doesn't define me um and it it, it yet yeah, i've yet yeah, i'm defined by it by and and i'm not the only one by being sort of abandoned by by 95 percent of the people that knew me before i got there in the hospital because i'm apparently not trying hard enough uh, i'm not coping i'm not coping as well as they can with their mental health issues and and it's all my fault that it happened, and I'm not, and I should have done more before I got there. And I'm irrational and irresponsible, and and I'm I'm hurtful because I'm I'm shouting and I'm saying that it, I get annoyed by the fact that they say that I'm tra- that I need to try hard, when it is the attitude that people have, thinking that they're helping, that is the problem, and not just the way that I wasn't getting the help I needed, but but I, what I'm saying is the expectation that there's a quick fix to mental health as extreme as what you're about to hear. Because there isn't. There isn't in the majority of cases with mental health. It isn't a quick fix. And the realisation that it is literally trial and error whenever you get treated for mental health that's literally what it is it is it is finding the thing that works for you it isn't a case of comparing it and saying do what i did that will work because it that's not how it works it would be great if that was what it was like but it's the only type of situation where it's not like sort of you're struggling to sleep and majority of people take sleeping pills and they work it isn't that that's not how it works it's far more complex and and difficult to, de- to, to deal with, um, and it deserves that respect. But I think that this, this is the issue. This is the issue: is that because mental health is is talked about now in society, even reluctantly, is that there's a there's a half information out there about depression and mental health and bipolar disorder, whatever, six schizophrenia, however, whatever mental health you want to talk about, to the point of now that. A person who is only half looked into it thinks they know what mental health is. Like they'll think being in bed for a couple of days, uh, upset over the fact that they've broken up with their boyfriend, is regarded as a major mental health problem. When that is a natural reaction in most cases of 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 being upset with a life situation, you know, just the same as grieving over someone that died. That 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 is how. A human being responds to that situation, and that is a natural feeling. It is not natural to wake up and want to end their life every single day, regardless of how their day goes, which is how I feel most of the time. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I'm not worth knowing. It doesn't mean that I'm worth forgetting about, or forgetting about what a great human being I am, when it it doesn't overwhelm me because I've had two major breakdowns in my life when I was at university and, and the most recent one, that doesn't mean I'm not worth knowing because I try every single day to be the best and I try every single day to cope with what I'm going through and yet what I hear when I talk to people who have mental health problems is this is repetitive. This is the way people behave. That They think it's acceptable to go, as long as I'm okay... Screw what anyone else is going through, and do we really want to be in a society where well, that's what we're reinforcing? Because I don't. Because I'm thinking about the person who's listening to this, who is going through re- anything remotely what I did, and is afraid of talking up, is afraid of going to the GP through through feeling, you know, um, that they're going to be judged, or wanting to tell their loved one and, and not are afraid of telling them, are afraid of how they're going to react. And that's such a key point. We're spending the whole time worried about how people are going to react rather than how a mental health person is treated. And that I have a massive problem with. Because the way I was treated was appalling. And yet, the people who abandoned me are never going to hear that. They're never going to hear the responsibility of that. It has a dangerous consequence to it, more so than the illness. If you speak to anyone who went through it, who went through anything like that, That's what they'll say. They'll say that that the way that they were treated is more difficult to get over than the illness itself. So I guess I wanted to, to, to share this blog to show how extreme and this is as real as it gets. And it's a real thing, mental health. But also... To reiterate that I don't want to have a son or daughter later in life, if, if I'm lucky enough to get that, that's going to want to tell their dad that they're going through something difficult and, and feeling bad negative thoughts and don't want to tell me because society says that's not acceptable and also that society should tell me that regardless of bringing them up and loving them and, and caring for them, that if they become difficult because they're going through hell, that I should abandon them because that's the right thing to do because it's not and we need to batter down that instead of putting them in boxes, we need to open the box forcefully and say this is something serious and is worth caring about. Because I care about that person I don't know that may be listening to this that wants to, that needs help. I care about that person and I'm not gonna change in that regard. Because if if we're gonna get better and get more people well again, then maybe we should society should help us get what we need to be well instead of claiming that and treating us badly because we all need help hence why that's what help means and the only way we're going to get that is through people more understanding actually how difficult and dangerous mental health can be so this blog post is called I won't trade heartache for safety it's been roughly 11 months since I last blogged, and of course, for those that follow GA in the podcast, you'd know the reason why there was a gap in the shows and the blog. You'd know when I came back in episode 72, I explained in much finer detail that I nearly died last year due to medical issues with my bipolar disorder. The issues being that the doctors were killing me with the amount of drugs that they had given me. I then spent two months fighting for my life in a ward and nearly lost that battle with suicidal thoughts you know actually doing it and my body failing with the medication I was taking it's quite a big issue eh? it's something that I still feel the effects of where I get so tired that I can't move like today as I write this blog at times unbearable but trust me when I say I'll take my current life over sitting paralyzed in that bed every day But as I hope you'll hear inside these words, it's not something to forget or put in a box. I embrace it because it happened. Not because I failed, but others did. All I was was ill. Difficult? Yes, of course I was difficult. But of course I was. Who wouldn't be? Ask yourself this in my situation. Would you not act that way? Because it's an unbelievable difficult position to be in. But yet... It's so easy that instead of thinking about that, thinking about being in my shoes, it's just easier to say it's my fault. How terrible of me to struggle with something that could easily make me feel like I should just jump off the nearest bridge and do it. Because, Stephen, can't you just not be that way? Why couldn't it be different? Because it's so much easier just to blame me, isn't it? And simply he puts it in this nice little box. Just like when I was in that hospital, away from the world and the cameras. Away from your safe life. Because the one problem I find with blaming me is it's wrong. It's immoral. It's unjust and unfair. I don't blame myself because I tried the best I could. And if I was like what they portrayed me as, then why would they want to be friends with me in the first place? And, and maybe I deserved everything that happened to me, but I didn't, and I don't, and I never will. And there's other people like me that are the same. The proof, if you want to be the judge, was after I got out, I sued the NHS who admitted that they screwed up inside there and before I got there. Hospital, I mean, and I won. And now, as I write this, I find myself in my own flat that I used the money to pay for, writing this and remembering the day when I got my compensation, crying my eyes out with overwhelming tears of joy. And I hesitate when I say this because it necessarily wasn't joy. It's a bit like sort of a boxer says after a fight that the first feeling they feel is relief that they that they did what they set out to do, and that's how I felt relief because it was over. I'd won. I was not the reason. It was like a huge bag of rocks had lifted over my overwhelmed sodas because I was right and yet I did this largely on my own. It feels weird to feel like you have to explain yourself to explain how much credit I know that I deserve and also what little credit I get or have had and how much more that I've lost during this time because this still hurts the people I still love and care and think about because I invested my heart and soul with them. And the one thing that scares me is I hear this story repeated. The idea that we must put mental health in a box, abandon all our great memories, our friends we've known for years, uh, because they have an illness that can kill them. We've got to abandon a good human being that makes you smile and groans, give you, you know, great opportunities and respects you and admires you and. We just let them go. All because we feel we understand, right? We, we do enough and we all feel the worst mental health and we all feel lost and alone at some point. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Have you ever considered the idea of if we have the attitude of that's just the way it is? That's the way it's always going to be. And the only way we change that is to realise it's not just the way it is, it's the way we behave. And this idea of as long as I'm okay but they can get over it. So as long as they're better to the detriment of me, that's the right thing. That just seems wrong, ironically. I don't want sympathy as I say this to you guys. I say this as a fact to say, it. this is not an everyone else feels this type of illness. This also is not a story about that any other form of mental health are not worth caring about either. But lying in a bed for a couple of days feeling depressed is far different to losing everything you ever loved while trying to stay alive. It's far different when you get people saying, just do more. When you spend all your energy trying not to give up because the pain is unbearable. Unbearable. Every single second of every minute of every hour of every day. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. That's what it was like. And if you got through something even remotely like that, then great for you. I'm happy for you. And I want to know you. And I'm so pleased you're alive and you got through it. But have you ever stopped and considered and remember the fact that there's some people like you and like me that don't make it? And when you read the evidence why, they'll say because people decided not to save them. People that they are trying to get well for, not just themselves. Because that is true. That's what happens. You want to do it for everyone, not just yourself. And... I remember sitting there, I was in a room that was four metres by four metres wide and that was it. I couldn't walk out the door without permission and everyone you ever talk to in there screams or complains or bitches and moans and the only friendly face is a person who checks that you're not going to kill yourself for the next 15 minutes. And it's amazing to think we're in a world where telling the truth is a crime. Because this is all true. Because when I say to you that... Honestly, I would look out the only window that I was allowed to look out of, and I felt like the last human being alive, just hoping to find someone to give meaning to why I should continue living. All the people that I just wanted to understand and help, that never came or came out of pity on their own agenda of, if i be there, that's enough. Like my mum, who would ring me every day and say that, that, you know, why am I being so difficult? Because it's a difficult situation, and I'm struggling. It's not anything to do with you. Yet, by the... By them leaving me and, and and blaming me, they make it about themselves. When I wish it wasn't about me, I wish I was well, yet they always just say, "Try harder that they always turn up with their own agenda of if I just I, I did enough, I came round and said to him, "Do more." Yet, they're the same people when well that would say such great things like, you're the most amazing person, you're irreplaceable, undeniably talented, and I would never leave you because I care care such a great deal about you, and, and you're my best friend, and all this kind of thing. And yet, you give them a reason by saying that you're the opposite of that, just by being seriously ill enough that suddenly you're easily expendable, pointless, tiring, annoying, faking it, over responsible uh, or asking too much of the very pers- uh, of the same amount of time usually that you would ask when well because it's a place they don't want to go it's because we, we live in a society where we'd rather promote relief over commitment, safety over understanding and self-preservation over universal care don't they understand the idea of if you care for someone else they'll care for you that does happen, and it's this proof in that. And it worries me that there's very little loyalty and courage in the world. And it's. The story's like a boxer who loses his title, because suddenly he isn't worth caring for because he's down and out. Like he's lost his reputation, and all of a sudden he's not worth knowing. When. This is an illness where you can easily die because of how hard it is. Fact. And when you get treated like that, you think that your life is over. It's over. On top of the feeling you already have of, you can't beat this because it's too difficult. And yet, they give up on you, yet they're asking you to not give up on yourself. Which is an entirely hypocritical stance. And a very ignorant one. Because leaving is easy. They have that option. I can't leave my illness because it's inside me. And they don't understand that there's some circumstances where you cease to be a human being, both literally, socially, and in my case, that carelessly happened in both cases. And it was treated like I was doing this deliberately. It was all my fault. Because you're in the right place, Stephen, the right place to get better, even though it was the place that ultimately tried to kill me. And instead of fighting for me, the one that cried with you, that kissed you when you were showing me your soul, that shared our passions and songs, that walked your dog and talked about the future. All of a sudden, that beautiful future that I was thinking about wanting to get back to got took from me. That hurt like hell. There was a speech done by Bill Clinton in 1999 while addressing mental health reform where he remarks, I have talked to many people about the impact these outdated attitudes have had on their lives. Most people tell me that the shame and stigma they experience are harder to bear than the illness itself. This was 1999. And it still means the same now in many ways. And I can tell you sitting here, I've gotten over the worst of what I went through mentally and the physical trauma that I went through will take time. But I tell you truthfully, without fear of being ridiculed, that every day I cry about how I was treated by a community that decided to outcast me. That instead of pulling together, this pulled everyone away and made me feel like I was a serial killer, a rapist. And I cry because I still care deep down. Even through all I went through, I care. Because I'm not going to put this in a box. And I'm not going to forget these memories because they don't understand what really happened and the thing is they're never going to answer for this there's so many people that decide after this type of experience to be less open less curious more bitter more resentful but i choose the option of being the me that everyone should be proud of the one that people should still want to know because i want life to be difficult in wanting to learn and i embrace the difficult nature of it and i don't want To use people for just the good times. I want to be there to say goodbye to people when they go permanently. And I refuse to run away from telling the truth. I refuse to let people think we're dealing with mental health the right way. And if you want the most important proof of all. I shouldn't be here. Because I didn't get the help I deserved. I didn't get. What I I shouldn't have been treated that way is what I'm saying. But. And it's I'm I'm lucky. I'm one of the few that made it. Pure luck. Because after all I went through, I'd rather feel this heartache and love I have for who I am and who I really am that got abandoned than feel safe and blame something I don't understand. And I'd rather understand the human race than just Simply walk away. And ironically, as uh, as you hear me say this, I'm willing to die trying to change that. Uh, hello, guys. Welcome back to Mentally Sound. I had to cut that a bit short because we're running a bit of time. But that's basically a rough idea. I will do. We will do the full version uh, for the podcast with just another couple of paragraphs of me ranting on like a lunatic. But it's it really is significantly important. Uh, and as I was touching on during the during the actual. Uh, as we were playing this uh, during the studio it was really really hard to do as I touched on before I started uh, doing the blog because it brought back some things I mean it's actually about a year since I actually went in a hospital so it's a, it's, it's a it does kind of make me me think about it but hey i hope it i hope it helped uh listening to some of that uh um that's it we're done for this show but we've got a few things that we need to talk about obviously if you want to tweet us you can at, at underscore mentally sound we also have a gmail account which is mentally sound at com. if you want to email us and also about contributing considering sophie contribute, she can mention uh that you can contribute to the show and if you want to get involved and all that kind of things you just want to because uh, basically with the fact that you got involved i just want you to pitch how awesome it's been if you've enjoyed it
1: <laughs> um, yeah it's been a really really brilliant experience i mean when i first started um, i think it was back in january february time and um, i literally had no confidence whatsoever but through being involved with this show and kind of meeting people that have had similar experience to me and kind of gone through the thick of it and um, it really does give you a lot of confidence and um, so i mean just get involved because it's a really, really great project and it's benefiting a lot of people.
0: Awesome, yeah. And as I say, if you want to uh, use that email address, just to let you know if you didn't catch that, that was mentally sound at gmail.com. Uh, and you can uh, get involved if you want to be part of the show as a guest. If you got an idea for a segment or something like that, feel, feel free to get in touch. Um, just finally, because I always forget to mention this, is that the NTW have uh, produced uh 23 self-help guides around a range of the more common mental health conditions such as depression self-harm uh stress shyness and eating disorders and you can get them for free from the ntw website or google ntw self-help uh i always been told to keep mentioning that because obviously that's really important uh, in terms of getting information that'll help you so please do do that because i keep forgetting to mention that so huge thank you to everyone that's checked out show seven of our Uh, mentally sound show right here on gravity radio northeast if you want to talk to us as i mentioned earlier in the show you can do so at at underscore mentally sound uh to uh tweet us and get involved in the show if you want to ask us some questions or you've got a segment or you want to be a guest on the show uh you can do so and we will get back to you because we would uh obviously encourage anyone to be more involved in the show because that's the whole point is to get people more involved and to promote uh, obviously stuff about mental health as well so huge thank you to sophie everyone behind the scenes that helps involved in this is hugely hugely appreciated and um, the the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to get this show made is uh, a lot uh, it's more than than obviously maybe some people are aware of so uh, i just want a huge thank you to them uh, and all the all the the hard work that's done in order to get this show to be what it is uh so as i say please do tune in for next month's show we are uh, every second friday of the month right here on gravity radio northeast and to play us out uh, i asked sophie what she liked in particular what song we're gonna play so we're gonna play uh bon jovi song this is wanted dead or alive and thank you so much to everyone goodbye take care thanks now
2: bye